happiness while we're here. Like, I don't think life doesn't matter, but I do think that some things kind of matter more than others. And like, I don't want to, like, basically, I don't want to live a life where I'm sleep deprived all the time. And I'm like not focusing on like building good relationships. And like, I, I haven't found what the balance is to have it feels like you can't do both at the same time. Like it feels like you pour into your career at this moment in time and you just like hope the people that love you will stick around until you can like tend to them again and vice versa. I'm gonna need you to repeat <laughs> all of that stuff. Okay. Cause we're, it's like we haven't even started and it's like super, super deep. Hello everyone. Welcome to the Silent Podcast. Uh, I hope you all are having a wonderful weekend, whatever time of day or day of the week you're listening to this. Uh, I'm here with a very special guest. I said this in the last one too. All my guests are special, <laughs> obviously, because otherwise they wouldn't be here. Wow, that sounds really conceited. Uh, so here I am. Um, I know her as Jasmine, though. <laughs> yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. I'm doing fine. I guess Man, I, whoever that, like, listens, I'll have to apologize for my my voice doesn't normally sound like this. Thank you, Nathan, for for the tea, by the way, because uh, I I know he's going to be listening. He he was like, bring up the right of spring, because like that's like the most. I'm like, working on that right now, actually. Really? Yeah. This is annoying of me to say. <laughs> I don't love to talk about um, exactly what I'm working on. It's oh it's, same. You know what I mean? Like you kind of want to keep it. You want to protect it until you like it becomes a reality. Yeah, of course. So I'm working on it for an audition. I'll say that. Very cool. Very exciting. Well, hopefully, when you nail the audition, everyone can look back to this and be like, "Oh, that's what that was about." Yeah, I'll let you know how the audition goes. I don't know if I'll I'll fall past, but maybe I'll feel good about the audition anyway. Yeah. For for those that don't know us, Jasmine is a fellow student at. The University of Texas in Arlington, and now teaches alongside our mentor Laura Bennett Cameron. Uh, and you're doing really well for yourself. Thanks. I have to say. Thanks. Yeah, like that was through all the craziness of the last three years, just like really reassuring. Like when the news like made my way, I was like, "That's cool," because like I'm I'm in the business of like for whatever. Like I'm sure we're gonna touch on it again, but as far as like having like fulfilling work especially with music and like how personal it is to a lot of people. It, it just matters like in any profession. I talked about this episode two with uh, Joseph Fisher Tram uh, as far as like, he's great. Oh, he's such a, such a cool dude. Yeah, he is in any kind of field. It doesn't have to be like the arts. You, you just like have to have, you know, you don't always have to be like buddy, buddy or like spend 24 seven with like that, your coworkers, but just having like good people that you can trust and that like you have some kind of mutual understanding and respect is is absolutely invaluable. With that being said, I appreciate you being here on the podcast today. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah, I was so excited to be here. I've got not some tough questions for you, but but one that is gonna be pretty open ended. Why the bassoon? Why the bassoon? Yeah. Well, so, <laughs> so I grew up in Las Vegas. At my school, in middle school, my band director, shout out Mr. Williams, love him, he didn't allow beginners to be to start on oboe or bassoon. Okay. So really? No double reads. Yeah. So you would start on something different, and I started on bass clarinet. So for the first, 
like four months of school, I played the bass clarinet. And he basically felt that, I don't know why he didn't allow us to start on double reads because then I moved here and I was like, people just started on double reads no matter what, if they wanted to play oboe bassoon, like nine times out of 10, they would just start on it. Yeah. I, I should ask him about it, but I speculate it's because oboe bassoon is pretty difficult. And if the student didn't do well on it, maybe they would feel too discouraged to continue with music or something. I don't really know. Um, but I started on bass clarinet and I took to it pretty well. And I think he took the students who were like picking up the instruments a little bit easier mm -hmm. and stuck them on the harder ones. And so then he asked me if, not saying that bass clarinet isn't hard, <laughs> but bassoon, it's, it's a little bit of a, like a late blooming instrument. Like, yeah. you know, like you don't start, start sounding good on it until a couple years. Oh God. I'm sorry, mom and dad. I know. For all the <laughs> My parents had to listen squawking. to a lot of rough beginning bassoon for quite some time. Yeah. I, so he switched me to bassoon. I thought it was awesome. I, I was I was mostly into it because I was the only one who was playing bassoon. I mean, did was that his idea or were you like It I was wanna... his idea. Okay, okay. Yeah, it was totally his idea. Like I completely credit the fact that I play bassoon to Mr. Williams. Right. Completely. Like he he was the one who was like, You should try playing bassoon and I was like, What's that? And he was like he like pointed to a, a picture of it on on a poster that was up in the band hall and I was like, Okay. And so I got a bassoon. It was a plastic one, and it had a plastic reed in the case. Oh, and that's what I played on. And I remember that some like an eighth grader at the school gave me a lesson, and he like showed me a few fingerings and like showed me how to play an F scale. He also showed me how to use vibrato, but it was totally wrong. Now that I'm thinking back yeah. on it. Um, but, um, it's like telephone, like I'm sure he like got it and then was like, okay, I, me, yeah. four, 14 year old brain, I, I can teach you. Yes. hundred percent. Like, yeah. 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 And I started playing bassoon and I loved it at, at first because I was the only one. And so I felt kind of special about it. And also my band director was like hyping me up. He was like, wow, like you make such a good sound and you've never played it before. And I was like, thank you. Like I felt really <laughs> good about myself and. And then, but I didn't know, like he, I, I, I don't even remember what I sounded like. Uh, he could have just been saying that. I'm not sure, but I don't think he would lie to me. So <laughs> anyway, I started playing bassoon and then literally probably about two weeks after that, I asked if I could switch back to bass clarinet oh. because I, um, not because I hated bassoon, but because my best friend in sixth grade also played bass clarinet and I wanted I gotcha. to sit next to her in band. And he was like, why? And I was like, well, I miss sitting next to my friend. And he was like, no, you're not going to switch back just for that. He was yeah. like, you're picking up on the bassoon too too well for to switch back to, to bass clarinet. Yeah. And then I was like, okay. And that's the rest is history. And that's that's why I still play bassoon. And bass clarinet's cool too. Cause like it I, is. Because I have a similar story for uh, for those who listened to episode I. Man, I mentioned this a lot because that one's titled Bassoon versus Double Bass, like when Joseph and I are talking. Oh, nice. There, there's a mystique to like the instrument because it's like it's very niche. It's a very tiny world. And I'm happy that I'm a part of it. Me too. Because like I always like it it's just like it's hard from the perspective of someone who has learned to play a double reed instrument. But for most people, like even like other wind players, like it, it just like how, how, how does that even it's like work? True. 
it, and I'm just like, there's a whole science of it. Like half of the time, this is just my perspective, but all the time in lessons, I like as an audio engineer be told, it's like, okay, here's the acoustics of like how it travels like through the instrument. And I'm like, that's so fascinating. Cause like, it's such a long like journey, which makes sense with like the range, especially like on Contra, you know, of trying to like get all of those frequencies covered. Um, and then the, the extended, like the, the upper register, it's just insane. And that's why it travels. That's why, like, it's just, it's huge. It is. It's, it's a giant instrument. It's a giant instrument. And the, and the overtone series it, and the fingering patterns don't totally make complete sense. And one of my tuba friends asked me one time, like, how, how does the bassoon work like <laughs> like how how does it like exactly make different pitches and like how how does it do that you know like there's an there's a reverse octave key and then like if you pick up one finger like sometimes the pitch goes up and but sometimes it's like only half and like it was just it was hard to explain i i got really curious about it and i started googling like how how does the overtone series work on the bassoon? Like, how yeah. does it know to create a certain pitch or a certain yeah. sound if you just do, like, a certain set of fingerings? And it was unclear. Like, I was, like, <laughs> like I, it was just very, like, a, a convoluted explanation. And it's bizarre because some of the, the fingerings are really similar. And so it makes sense. But then some of them really aren't, especially across the octave. Yep, yeah. You know, like, B-flats are pretty similar, but then you have things like E flat. I'm like, how does that even work? Like, I feel like on, on even clarinet, some of the fingering translations, I mean, they're like an octave and a half difference, but it just makes more sense. Flute makes more sense. Saxophone definitely makes more sense. Bassoon is just like a different, Yeah, it's a different beast. It's a beast. And yeah. And I, I guess that makes sense because it's so niche because we're, they're so few of us, I think that's why it's not as approachable, which kind of goes into like the next thing I, I want to hit a little bit. So as a professor now with responsibilities of kind of like making the instrument more accessible, where it's not like as scary, where there's not like that. Yeah. Like there's that, there, there is that like stigma, even with like oboe as well. Like we're kind of one in the same in that word. Just, yeah. There's a mystique to it. There really is. And I feel like, I feel like when I talk to friends that are multi instrumentalists, mm -hmm. it's always, I play all the woodwinds except for oboe and bassoon. And honestly, as a college professor, I, I get some, uh, I get an advantage because all of my students have been playing for a few years, you know, so some of the, some of the scaredness of, if that's even a word of approaching the instrument has kind of left because they've just been playing it for a while. I think they get most intimidated by is probably um, like taking the extra step, like really trying to make the instrument do what they want it to do and not what the instrument likes to do. And so I feel like that's what makes it really tricky because they come in and all of my students, thanks, thanks to Laura, you know, she's, I wasn't there last year or so, and I haven't started any of the freshmen, but mm -hmm. they, their, their fingerings are in a better place and their idea of how to produce air and all of that and, and create a sound is more advanced than obviously like a middle schooler would be, but even still trying to like 
finding what its tendencies are, I think is what is make it makes it extra, extra difficult once you kind of get a basic understanding of how to play it. And so I work with them a lot in that way, but I feel like my, the, my answer is best suited for when I was teaching middle schoolers because I'm glad that I worked with middle schoolers and I would do it again. I would teach a beginner again because they don't know that the bassoon is hard, you know? And so like the accessibility of it is, is pretty much limitless. Like if they have, which is, this is a whole thing in and of itself, but like say they're in a, they're in a program where they have a bassoon, they have access to reeds and they have even a private lesson teacher, which is not very many districts, but say that's like best case scenario, right? They, they still don't know that the bassoon is hard because they don't know what's hard. They just know that it's an instrument and like they just need to try. And so I actually find that the younger kids are more willing to just try it because they don't get that what they're attempting to do is actually really difficult. And so they're not like, they're not um, distracted or like in their heads about, oh man, this is really, really hard because they don't know. And if you don't make it apparent to them, then they're fine. I guess now it's more so with my college students, it's like trying to get out of that headspace of like, okay, yeah, this is, this is a difficult thing to do, but you can do it. Like it's, it's not an impossible thing to do. And, and I tell them all the time that, and I mean this genuinely, like if I can do something on the instrument, then anybody can do it. Like, like seriously, because like I, when I tell them that it feels a little unfair because I've, I've been playing longer than them and like I have the degrees or whatever, but really and truly like the only degree of separation between me and a, my student is just experience. If you practice and if you like really are intentional about what you're doing and you, you like think about how, what steps you're taking as you're playing the instrument, you can do anything you want to do. And create the sound that you want to create if you, you know, and it's easier said than done, but get out of your head about it. When bassoon, when we get so wrapped up in like, oh, bassoon is such a difficult instrument and it's so hard and it's so hard. Well, there's a lot of really great bassoonists, you know, and like all of us are just human beings. And so if we kind of remove ourselves from the fact of like, man, this instrument is so difficult and getting this note to come out is so difficult. Man, playing a high D and like half holding this and blah, 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 like all this stuff. It is difficult, but it's not impossible. And it's not even like too impossible, Mm -hmm. you know, because a lot of people can accomplishment. And if a lot of people can do it, then you're no different because all of us are in the same boat, you know? What I've found the most helpful for whatever this is worth is just with any kind of skill or um, lifestyle change you're working with is just setting realistic, meaningful goals. And, and like anyone who's had any kind of discipline will, who will tell you that or been successful at it as someone like from my perspective, like during the, the pandemic, once I had finished like my, my studies on the instrument, like in studio, I had started picking up bass guitar, but it's like, you know, the electric guitar has like a reputation for like, you know, kind of like bluegrass, like instrument where it's, it's very accessible, easy to learn hard to, to master. Uh-huh. Cause like I, I wanted to try something new before I, I had went to university. You know, I, I was going to different schools and kind of getting an idea of like what, what I wanted to really like do since I, I've been fortunate enough 
to have the opportunity to study like in like a higher education. I vividly remember going to Texas State in San Marcos and I forgot the gentleman who, who ran the program there for the Bachelor in Science of Recording Technology. But he was like, oh, you know bassoon? Because I was like, well, if I'm going to audition, maybe I want to try like guitar or like voice lessons or j- just something like different just just to be a little more like well-rounded. And like, obviously, like, you know, I, I love the in- and been wanting like to revisit it for forever. He was just like, no, like you have a way better shot. Like if like, cause everyone's trying to play guitar, or do voice like in that it's like, you know, cause like there's so many hobbyists where it's like, not that the guitar isn't taken seriously, but some people just do, cause it, it's fun, not inaccessible, but definitely with how like, especially like, you know, expensive it is like to own your own bassoon and to have like someone who can guide you like in that process that that is like very like daunting too, like from a socioeconomic yeah. Like standpoint. Yeah, a bassoon is a playing bassoon is not like a hobbyist yeah. instrument, you know. Like, the guitar is, you know, like yeah. you can you can learn guitar on YouTube. Not, I'm not saying like you can become an amazing guitarist, but you can find a video on YouTube and start learning guitar a little bit. It's the same with piano. We're like, yeah, it, it's it's approachable because all the notes. Are there like yeah. and like if you know theory, it's like it's arranged like that, and it's like same with like the stringed instruments. It's just the harmonic series. It's like this is how they demonstrate it in acoustics. It's like with a sine wave and a string, and you're like your fingers doing that on the fret, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. And bassoon, so it's, it's like, just bassoon. Bassoon, and I and I do say this to my students a lot. Bassoon is not like an intrinsic instrument it's not intuitive it's not like with piano it's somewhat intuitive because you see the key and you're like oh if i press the next one it goes up yeah. right on bassoon it's not like that yeah. i mean you can't you can't even like figure out how to put it together even if you see it in a case like it's really just like you can't like fi- figure it out yeah you know yeah so so i guess at large like not just like you know bassoon because we're talking like pretty specific but as far as like with how like Western like theory is like taught, what what do you think would be up like to make it more accessible, like how to make the classical world more accessible in like contemporary music? It's it's already difficult to have enough funding at the schools to have a, a very fruitful program, you know, and and it's it's remarkable when i mean it, texas is wild you know like i came here and like i saw when i became a private lesson teacher in the metroplex and i saw just how many different uh districts and programs have just really nice instruments i mean bassoons that were like literally professional grade instruments yeah. like some schools were had multiple professional grade bassoons. And if they didn't, they still had really good horns, but not all districts are the same. And I think that's like, I feel like that's touching on a much larger problem. And I, I honestly, I don't have the solutions for that. Oh yeah. You know, like it it is a very, like a a lofty question I threw at you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a big thing. And as far as like, do you mean accessibility in terms of literally just having access to a good music program? Yeah. Cause, cause I'll, I'll say like, um, I've mentioned this a few times, but just even wanting to like approach the arts in general, my grandfather, his dad was, you know, ragtime pianist. 
And just even like having like a piano at my grandmother's house, that curiosity like was like sparked, you know, it's like just having that kind of stuff in the home. And, you know, as far as like raising children is like just having like music in the home or just arts in the home. Yeah. Well, just having like, anything like to like pique like their interest and like have that like child like wonder and have like somewhere to channel their their curiosity and things like that yeah well it's in terms of just finding somewhere when you okay so when you enter a music program Mm -hmm. whether it be one that's well funded and has great resources or one that's looking for better resources this is kind of a an annoying thing to say, but a lot of it comes from the kind of community that's built around that. You know what I mean? And I find that students usually like being in music, whether it be a, a, like, again, a, a, a program with a lot of resources and one that's not usually what keeps the students around is when you have someone like an encouraging teacher or great friends that are surrounding you. And I think that I think that sometimes when we get into band, there is such a heavy um, importance of having self-discipline and and you know being a reliable person because I really attribute those qualities of having discipline and being reliable to being involved in band. And I think that sometimes it can go too far where it starts to feel like band is more of a like obligation and it, it seems it gets very strict and there's a lot of pressure um, to create in a, in an environment where it becomes very tense, where if you, if you do something wrong or if you aren't learning something fast enough or if you aren't, um, you know, executing something that you're told you should be able to do, it's really easy to get discouraged really fast. And so I think that's what causes a lot of people to lose interest in in being involved. And I think that is, I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into that too, you know, like it's not solely, solely on the, the onus of the of the band director or the people around them strictly in the band. I mean, there's a lot of facets facets that play into that, but I do think that if you genuinely allow band music and even classical music to have a little bit more freedom and and just enjoy it and not make it so like you must play every single note correctly or you must do this and you have to do this and you need to be here on this and there's just a lot of pressure in this in this field I mean there's pressures in every field but there's a lot of pressure in this field to kind of execute a particular way and I and I feel like it started right as soon as I was in band and um and it didn't change I feel like the pressure is still there even now and it only got worse as I like went to conservatory and stuff and so um, and that way I think it, music can be made more accessible if you just kind of, specifically Western classical music can be made more accessible when you 
genuinely try to create an environment where it's nurturing to everyone, all, all parties from different walks of life, different ethnicities, races, backgrounds, incomes, gender. Like it doesn't matter because if it, if it starts out to feel like it's a very militant, high expectation environment, that's not a great base level if you're already dealing with a, a lot of other external factors, yeah. I guess. I hope that kind of answered. What yeah. It, no, that, like, that was a loaded question. I, I didn't know how to exactly answer it, but I, I guess that's what I think. No, that does help because like, I'll, I'll, I'll share this. I'll decide whether I keep this in later. Yeah. But like, definitely my freshman year of high school, when we were like in like UIL like competitions, like I I had juniors and seniors, just like 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 straight up like I was a little more like wild <laughs> like I like I was still figuring like stuff out then, and they're just like because I was someone who I was still doing like. Taekwondo, like I had lots of lots of interest. Like I think a lot of like high school kids can relate, where they're just figuring as as a young adult like that, um, you're trying so many things and being spread so thin. Which there's a healthy balance to that, and then there's not. Right. Um, and I would say that mine wasn't like you know because I I knew where my my lines like were like, as far as like not overexerting myself, but you know I was doing martial arts. I was in football somehow like had to be in marching band to stay in, in the band program in general. So it was like, literally I was playing like offensive defense. Then I'd have to like take all my stuff off and like try and like change into like marching like gear and do that for like home games, like other things. Um, And I was just like, just getting pulled. And like when we got into like concert season, like I, I had, um, older, like, you know, classmates, you know, I think we we're like in a, a quartet that are just like, oh, you're not going to like UIL competition like that. Like you need to have more professional like hairstyle and like, you know, all, all like this, like kind of thing. And I'm just like, yeah, but why though? Because there's a screen, <laughs> they're really not going to see us. It's just like really silly. Um, and I can say this now, uh, I, I'm not going to mention his name cause it's not appropriate, but just hor- horrible band director. Um, a gentleman, of the program at the high school I went to cause, cause I was struggling and looking for advice of like, how do I balance? I, I like, I didn't fright, like, I don't know how I phrased it to like set him off, but I was just like, Hey, like next year, my sophomore year, like I'm struck between like whether I want to stick with football and or keep playing like bassoon. Cause it's like, cause I, cause I enjoyed sport. Like that's a whole other thing, like in Texas as well. And like how demanding that is. Um, I'm glad that's not like my, where I continued down that path, but I was just like, Hey, like I like this, like, like, like an athlete, but this too, I'm like, how can I make this work and like not March? Cause of like, they don't, I'm like, cause I'm leaning towards like, if, if I have to, like, if it's required to March, then I'm going to choose football and do that as my passion. And he got so belligerent. And just like, it was like, like, you're never going to get like a scholarship, like playing football or like whatever. I'm like, I I did it because it was fun. Right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And uh, and that's just very demoralizing where I'm like, I I don't like, I don't care because I'm just like, I, I really, because I am passionate about music, obviously. And I wanted to, like, I was like literally coming to help. And he was just like, 
like, nah, like, you know, go ahead, do that. You're ruining your life. Be, get out of my office kind of deal, you know? Yeah. Bizarre. And, see, and that's, that's a, a really extreme um, reaction to that. And, yeah. and it's really, and that's kind of what I mean as far as like creating a space where people just feel joy for playing music for the sake of like just feeling joyful while doing it. And with attitudes like that, which is sadly not uncommon, you know, it becomes unfun to play an instrument because then it starts feeling like a big time obligation and it removes the joy out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I think, and I, and I try to encourage that for my students even still, because I know that as a college student, especially an undergrad, it's really easy to get burnt out from playing Mm -hmm. and from doing music things especially because everything that you're doing for music is graded and it's based off of how you can execute. And so there's a lot of pressure that comes on that. And obviously being able to work under pressure and and do things in the moment when you need to is a great skill to have. Um, But it does make it, 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 it basically trains you to be hypercritical of every single thing that you do. And, and playing an instrument is such a music is such a personal endeavor. If you choose to do anything arts wise, it's such a personal endeavor because, I mean, especially as an artist, your work is very closely tied to who you are as an individual. And so, if you do something poorly, then you feel poorly about yourself. And it's really hard to like it's really hard to separate the two, yeah, because they're not totally separated, even if you try as hard as you can not to put them in the same box. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's really difficult. It's unfortunate. Um, we, we will get on to the next part of the segment, our, our, our common sounds thing. Um, but, but I guess in closing on that, this is more of a statement than it is a question really even, but it's just like, I think in any field, it's like there's just like a lack of empathy um, when it comes to like education where it's, you know, there isn't like a mold. I think we talked about this before we'd started recording, but just as far as, um, you know, how our generations like kind of has like a different like workplace relationship with things. And it's like the our education system hasn't caught up with that really where in public school, you still have like young children going like from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. like like an office work. It's structured around that and hasn't really like caught up. There there are lots of programs with like career centers, other things like later on, but it's still it's still kind of ingrained in our culture, you know. So I guess I think it's really easy for people to kind of forget their youth where it's like you get so like caught up in just adult problems where it's like you almost just kind of like forget. And that's really important. Like in an education, like standpoint is to like, you know, it, I don't know like how that happens. Like that's something like I I'm kind of, as I'm getting older, like not struggling with, but I'm like, how do I like maintain like that youth, you know? Cause obviously like, you know, you have to, mature your, your interests change. Like, you know, you can't, 
there's just harsher life realities, but it feels like there's a generational war, like where there's just like a, a huge like gap in like understanding and like conflict that like happens there because it's like they've forgotten it like so far removed from that experience. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, I do. I think that also, I mean, even like beyond generational, which there is like a, a, dis, a, a divide on how generations feel. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is very much in our culture here to work a lot. Yeah. And, um, and we spend a majority of our time working and, um, I don't want to, I just don't want to lose the thought, but I'm like, we value everything as far as like, like, especially for like salary and like work hours. It's like the time. And I'm like, but what are you actually like working towards? Right. And yeah, like I, I think there, there is such a heavy emphasis on working hard, making deadlines, um, completing this task managing managing uh your priorities and all of your priorities usually have to do with work most of the time um and if you get older then it turns into family and stuff if you have kids or whatever but it's even from yeah when you're a kid you have all of these extracurricular things you have homework you have and if you're in a tough familial situation you have all of those things going on and and there's a lot to balance but Regardless of that, our days are still spent mostly working. And um, and even when you leave work, especially as a musician, um, you take it with you everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. And so, um, and it carries with you all the time. And, I, and I, I often feel like when I'm not thinking about music, it's like, it's like you're, if you're not working on music, you're basically regressing. Right. Like, like if you're not actively getting better at it, then you're, you're getting worse. And so, and that mentality can get really dangerous because then it, it makes it difficult to enjoy any other aspect of your life because you're constantly feeling like, oh, well, I'm not getting better at my, my craft kind of thing. And, and so, um, we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but this, like this super heavy emphasis on work makes it really difficult to balance um anything else that you may need to literally feel satisfied in life and um and what that vision of success is it looks like for you and like 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 you said um we do all of this hard work but what are we actually doing it for and what are we going what are we heading towards and and it's hard to say, especially if you don't really have a clear defining goal of what you would like to do with your life, um, then you can f- kind of feel like you're working just to get to the next thing. There is such a heavy, a heavy emphasis on on having a good work ethic and working hard and all of these things, um, but there's not so much a big emphasis on taking care of yourself and checking in with yourself. It wasn't until recently. Now I feel like in the last couple of years, people started actu- actually ta- talking about mental health and taking it seriously. You know, taking time for yourself during the day to literally just like f- get like find common ground so that you can take you can like get through the rest of your day. You know, and and there is also such a big emphasis on 
completing all of your tasks and doing them beyond well. At least, at least in in I can. I'm only speaking from my experience and what I've experienced in studying music and all of these things. That there's a lot of pressure to be good at it and really good at it. And especially if you if you take it seriously and you might already have um, these expectations for other people, it constantly feels like you're not only trying to outdo yourself but also kind of outdo those around you and for something at least in classical music for for a field that you know has such an integrated space in ensembles where we where we sit alongside different people and meet different people I I do wish that we could form even a greater sense of community in it because it can sometimes feel too cutthroat and it can feel like we're we're supportive, but I think there's always more room to be even more supportive in that and kind of look out for each other and our well-being. And That applies to every practice, in yeah, my opinion. I think so, too. And so, it's, and so, yeah, like I was saying before, that now finally I feel like more people are talking about prioritizing your mental health, but I think that there's a lot more work to be done to genuinely make that a priority for everyone because even when even in undergrad which that wasn't that long ago for us there was like sometimes a little bit of a self of sense of self pride if you like only slept for just like a few hours that night yeah. or something like oh man i'm only running on like 4 hours of sleep or oh man you know i'm i'm so exhausted i um but i got x y and z finished and it's like and i was guilt i'm guilty of that like i've definitely said those kinds of things and it was kind of like Man, I I I didn't I didn't sleep for so long cuz I was working on all of this stuff and it's like looking back on it it's like I'm not I now I don't even say that like I didn't get enough sleep that night because I feel embarrassed to talk about the fact that I'm literally not taking care of my body the way that I should and everybody should be, you know, prioritizing physically getting enough sleep and like taking care of themselves, you know, and and I think that when you have such a heavy emphasis on working really, really hard, it's like work hard now so that you can you can take all the time off later. But what I'm finding is that you work hard now and then you keep working. Yeah. Like you you keep going. And yep. it's like, so it goes back to the point of like, okay, we're working really, really hard, but what goal are we trying to to get from it? And I used to have like such a clear picture of what I wanted to do with my life. Like when I was 14 and I, and I went to high school, I was like, okay, I love playing bassoon. I'm going to just straight away get my bachelor's, get my master's, get my doctorate. Then I'm going to win a job, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this, and then this. And I still think that that's a, a great thing to do. You know, like I think if you want to do that, you should definitely do it, and I support it all day. I just realized that I – there was a point where I stopped – knowing what I actually liked. Like my whole identity became music and playing bassoon. And I didn't know the type of interests that I had. And my whole identity was so centered around this one thing. And it, it still really is. And I also thought to myself, um, how do I strike a balance between 
living a life where I'm, I'm feeling content and also having a career where I feel good about it. And like I was saying earlier, it it feels like it can't, it's really hard to balance it at the same time. It's like for one facet of your life, it's, it's very much career focused and then everything kind of gets put on the backside and, you would just hope that all of the people that you love and care about are just going to continue to be there for you while you, you know, go on this venture. And then eventually you can tend to those relationships. But what I'm finding is that I, I don't want to look back on my life and think about like, man, I, I really just, I wasn't taking care of myself then. And I was, I should have been spending more time with the people who matter to me the most. And, um, and I can still feel happy and content in this life without neglecting my boundaries and my needs and those around me. Basically what I was going after this dream because I wanted the notoriety. And then I realized that having the notoriety is awesome, but it's also, it's also not like the most important thing in the world. And that successful doesn't always have to do with, having an amazing career where you've done a million things and you can still have an amazing career while also having your relationships. And what I, and like, and I, and I wish, you know, I tell my students this to really prioritize their mental health. And I, and I tell them that I care about them doing, being, feeling well more than how well they can play the bassoon because you can only play the bassoon so well if you yourself are doing okay. I, I like that now these newer generations, like my sister, I think of her a lot. Like she's these like she's 15 and people who are like between 15 and 20 are, are more focused on taking care of themselves, yeah. which I, I think all of us should be a little bit more focused on taking care of themselves and each other and that you know, work is not everything. Work is important. And I don't want to downplay how important it is to work hard. And, you know, if you want something, you should go for it. But I really don't think it should be at your expense. And I do think at the end of the day, all you have are your relationships and your community. Because honestly, I think a a big reason why I have been in music for this long, I mean, I I love bassoon and I love playing in orchestra and I love... You know, I'll never stop playing. And I do love music just in and as itself so much. It's, I, gen, I always say that music 100% was my first love. But I think a big reason why I've stuck around for so long is because of the people that I've met while doing it, you know? And um, so for whatever that's worth. I mean, absolutely. You mentioned like as far as like valuing the notoriety it matters just as much how you measure success. And in that instance, you know, as an artist, as a musician, because you can make all the, the art and all of the music in the world and keep it to yourself and not share it. And then it's like, you know, if that's fulfilling, like if that, you know, as a, as a muse, if that's an outlet for you, that's great. You know, professionally, if, if, if you're sharing it, it's really hard because you want, everyone to accept you. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking from, from my point of view, but it's like, it's almost like you're like, it's not enough until like everyone's like validated your approach. 
you know, and the, and that's where like right. I, I was kind of getting that that sense of what you're is like whose opinions do I value? You know, because you're not gonna that's un, that's so unrealistic, but it's really easy to go down that rabbit hole of like, well, to to be like, you know, it's like I need to get like these people like to to accept like what I'm doing, and it's just you can't, and it's like you have to, you know, the the people that matter to you, like that's that's where you start is like finding whose whose opinions, whose criticisms like are actually worth considering. Taking to heart, yeah. Yeah. And it, it also, it's worth considering like, does this person lead a life that you personally would be okay living? Yeah. You know, like, like I hold a lot of respect for so many people that I've learned from, like Laura, our mentor. I, I mean, she's like... She's like a pillar of amazingness in my <laughs> life. I I couldn't I could not say enough nice things about her. Like, we, like the we, list we would goes not on. be here without her. I could talk I tell all her that every day time about I see her. her. Yeah. yeah, like you know, she's just incredible. Um, and she is to me an example of someone who's really, really, really successful and so smart and so well-rounded and so kind to the people around her and would literally do anything for her students and for those people. And that's the type of person that I absolutely would want to be in. I think that I am in a lot of ways. Like I really do think I am there for the people that I have in my life and the students that I invest in. I would, I would truly do anything I could to help them. And it's, and it's like, that has nothing to do with music, you know? And it kind of just goes back to just like nurturing your relationships. And I'm so happy that music is, is like basically a vessel to like do that. And, um, and so I think, I just think that there's a lot of merit in, in equating how you pour into your relationships as much as you would into your, your career and also pouring into yourself as much as you would into your career and that someone who is really mentally sound and mentally healthy and like physically healthy and sound, yeah. I think is just as successful as somebody who has like a gazillion gold medals or whatever it is, you know, like both, I, both things are successful and nothing. I just hope like, and I say this for my own self too. Like I, I always think, I wish, man, I wish I would have done this and I wish, I wish I had, gone here and man I've been playing for bassoon this playing bassoon this long and how come I'm not better at it and like I could really think about you know like I think about these things all the time um but um I don't know it's it's no. a tricky thing I don't like know. we're I don't know. we're social creatures like with with anything like outside of the arts too it's just like it feels good to help someone out like le- legitimately yeah like because you know, most, this might be a good segue to talk about what we're, you know, some of the music we listened to beforehand, but it's like, you know, most major religions, like people, like, I don't want to get too heady. It's like, they're looking for a sense of community, like, like of like a, a purpose besides just the, material like list like like but besides just existing you know it's something beyond that like a higher calling or or what have you um and 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 innately like just if you study any kind of psychology it's like it just that's how we've thrived as as a species is through community Mm -hmm. 
and it it just it's rewarding because it it's just it's just the right thing to do in any kind of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. Well, that was that was really fruitful. That was really awesome. I I, I really enjoyed like that conversation a lot. Is is there it kind anything? Of didn't, I don't know if it like <laughs> we didn't really get to like a definitive point. It's just mostly I'm just like. Speaking that's, my thoughts out loud, that's whether exactly they make sense or not. <laughs> what I want, you're doing perfect. Right. This is fantastic. When you asked about, you know, the accessibility and like having Western music theory and just music in general being more approachable, um, and I will take this advice for myself. This isn't for me too. Yeah, is to like to not be afraid to suck, and that Western classical music is not the height of music there's a lot of music in the world classical music can very much come off as pretentious and uppity and that actually it's just another music form the same way rap is in music form and r&b and jazz and world other kinds of world music and it's all there's room for it all and so i think a lot of times in classical culture it's really easy to get caught up in sounding perfect and beating ourselves over the fact that it needs to be perfect but it doesn't and um all of us at some point, suck at something, in mu- <laughs> especially in classical music. And yeah. so it's okay to suck sometimes. And classical music is not it's not, the, it's not the most important music in the world. It's just another type of music, and you should have fun with it. I have two notes on things before we finally move on. Yeah. I remembered earlier, there was a question I wanted to ask, and you brought up, and we went so many places. What other muses like do you have? Because you'd mentioned as far as like, having other hobbies and not like music becoming this all consuming, like daunting task. It's like, what, what other outlets do you have? Um, I like to cook. I immediately, when I think of other outlets, <laughs> I think of food. Yeah. I oh, honestly, God. you and I could talk about food. like, I, oh, food is <laughs> it. Like I honestly, I think that cooking and I don't mean this in like in a, like in a meme type of way. Like I feel like there was a lot of memes talking about like, I love food and I wish I could be eating right now, you know, kind of thing. I genuinely think that food and cooking is the ultimate form of artistic is- expression. Oh, Even yeah. if you're not a great, I, I really do. Like, I think <laughs> that if you're a chef, I, I just, I just think cooking is so amazing. Like, I think that being able to take something that just grew from the earth. Yeah. And turn it into a meal that people can like enjoy and connect over. And like my, my honestly, one of my biggest inspirations is my, is my Mima. She's my mom's mom and she's a chef and she, she's just so badass and she, she's done so many amazing things and she's a big person who I look up to, to just like go for it and, and follow the things that you like to do. And, and I just think that the way that she can cook and turn something literally quite literally turn just like a carrot into something like that you can just like love and, and it's so delicious, you know, like it's just so like, it just like triggers all of your senses. I feel like just like when you have a great meal, it's very much like a full body experience. And then if you get to do that with somebody else, it's just like, it's just so exciting. And I think that, Cooking is very therapeutic for me in general, 
and kind of experimenting with what you can do, it's like absolutely boundless. So 100% cooking is something that I like to do and just trying new food also. And you can learn so much about a culture just by trying the food that they have. And so I think food and cooking is remarkable. It's like a game, like especially like for me where I'm like, I... I suck at following recipes. Like I'll, I, I, I use them like to like start like as a guideline, but I'm just like Neanderthal where it's like you, you have to eat, and it's like all right, well, like how do I make this more interesting? Yeah, <laughs> you know, because it's like this is cool. What if I like just grab this like, and that's that's always been my thing where I'm like, okay, what's in the fridge? And I'm like coming up with an idea of like yeah, of just turning it into a meal. Like it's th- amazing. Th- that's been the it, it is an art, and that that's what art is. I tried to define this, not to, like it was something that came up in the third episode of our podcast. Th- to me, that's what art is, is like taking raw materials of like any kind, like, you know, like with music, it's like you're taking just like fundamentals of sound and then making it into, into something more Yeah. Th- than just like, cause you can just be like, especially like when people try and like downplay like genres they don't like or something they're not interested in. It's like, Oh, it's, it's just noise. And I'm like, you don't know. And no, it's 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 the intention. It's like the yeah. you know, yeah. Exactly. And that's why food. I said like that's why I really want to drive the point like classical music is not the pinnacle of music cuz yeah. there's so many other kinds and and same thing with food like when you say how do I turn this and make it into something great? You can do that. Cuz cuz most cultures food. Sorry. <laughs> I I didn't mean to cut you off. It's like it, it obviously it, it's like regional. It's like w- what was available to them there, yes. and it's like it, it goes so far back. Like it is so closely tied to like how people like, migrated and like evolution and just like like yeah, it, it's like what they've t- taken with them and like oh my and god, literally like a me- like, like recipes have been like thousands of years in the making. Yes, like a re- there's so many recipes that exist purely based off of the need that existed at the time of that. Yeah. You know, of that, it's, it, I just think that food and cooking and all of that is truly just so expressive in infinite amount of ways, the human experience. Also, if you create a great meal and it, it like satisfies every sense, but it also is literally you, we need it to eat to survive. And I, and I, it's like, which is duh, obviously so that's not, that's not a profound statement. There's a psychological thing too, with like, what is considered like tasty <laughs> like yeah. as far as like flavorful yeah it's usually like the stuff that's like really complicated and really nutritious yes you know we're we're, we're our society struggles is like the overabundance of food sometimes yeah and there's yeah i know there's but, like that's the whole thing but but still but it's like yeah like the the best recipes are like the most like wholesome usually yeah and they're the most simple and like i and i think that like when you have something that's so great and it's triggering all of these, like you get a rush of just like excitement of trying it. It's also satiating like a biological need. And it's, I just think it's the ultimate way to connect Yeah, is over, over a great meal. And I know that like the relationships with food is very different for so many different people and not everybody feels this passionate about like cooking and, and food, but I do think it's amazing. And I think, and I, and I feel that strongly about music too. It's just cool with cooking you have like a a product, you know, music, you don't really get like a tangible product. Sure. Which is, you know, that's a whole thing. But anyway, (laughs) yeah, that's, that's another hobby that I like is to cook. I'm so hungry. We got to, we got (laughs) to move on. Well, usually on the podcast, we, we 
try and do like like have fresh ears on this common sound. But uh, you'd show me a piece that I was somewhat familiar with, but um, had the opportunity like to really like kind of like do like a deep dive in here. So I'm gonna start with my thoughts. So we'd listen to piano concerto in G major from Ravel. Wonderful piece. It's the second movement. The particular recording we listened to, I, I should have taken notes like on the names. Can you remind me of like the conductor, like the piano, like the soloist? And the soloist is Martha Agrich. Yeah, yeah. And it's with Berlin Phil. Right, and excellent. Like oh, so many good recordings from it's really good recordings. Yeah. Um, and the conductor, I believe, at the time, yeah, Claudio Abado. That's my go-to recording. Maybe just because of the time of year it is, but like it, it feels like very like evocative of like spring and just like coming out of the winter because like I, I hear like the the first half of the piece is like the solo piano and then you get a lot of like the the orchestra and like I have like in my notes like here like specifically like the the flautist like here and like it just kind of like tickles the ear and then it's it's very stripped it's like a melancholy like I like I talked about this in episode three with with Miles because he's an arranger and we talked a lot about soundtracks and like composition and what have you. And as far as like getting like an image and so I, I get like the image of like, like a literally a rainy day, like here in, in Texas in the Arlington like area right now, it's been so like just sporadic like weather. Uh, and it's just, like it's <laughs> killing me. I'm Texas dying say it every year. The weather's so unpredictable. Yes. Yeah. Every time. And, and it feels like that. It's like, like moving out like of like that, melancholy like space and like you know it's, it's in three four like in certain parts where it's like you're like waltzing like out of that and then sunshine like you know i don't know i don't, I don't know how to describe it what what are your thoughts my thoughts on this piece yeah it was the first piece that i can remember um being really moved by yeah um really really moved by the second movement because the first the first and the third movement are totally wild yeah. like they're just the third movement is just fast and virtuosic and you know super the the bassoon part is crazy there's like a, there's a bassoon duet sometimes it's just played as a solo but it's so fast and, and just 16th notes and wild and and then the the first movement has like a, a slapstick it starts off with like a slapstick in the beginning and then it turns into this like very lively um and exciting piece and then the second movement is just so different from the first and third, and usually all second movements are slow, right? We know that, but it picks up though. It like, picks up, and yeah. it's it's definitely much slower than the first and third, and it's interesting because the first and the third movements have such like a they're not super deep, yeah. you know, they're just very entertaining and they're super um, lively and exciting to listen to. And when Ravel wrote this piece, he wrote it for it to be exciting and, and just entertaining. It wasn't meant to be an incredibly meaningful piece anyway. But then the second movement starts and it, and it is, Yeah, you know, and it is so incredibly moving. I think it's beautiful. And I think for something that's written in major, it sounds like you said, it does have this there's like melancholic minor. Yeah. Yeah. There's some, yeah. Switch is a little bit, it just has this melancholic quality and it sounds like there's just a hint of nostalgia to it. Mm-hmm. And 
I just remember hearing it for the first time. I thought it was so just like purely beautiful. Like it was just, I just appreciated it for the sake of appreciating it for its beauty and and nothing more, you know, and it didn't need to have, it didn't need to have a, a deep underlying meaning behind it. Sometimes things are just beautiful. And that's how I felt about or still feel about the second movement. And so whenever somebody asks me what my favorite piece of music is, that's the, always the first thing that comes to my mind right away. And that's why I chose to listen to it. You asked if I, what I thought about the piece, I guess. Well, yeah, I, I guess, yeah, your relationship with it then. Because yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Like, yeah. Because like I, I can talk to, um, you performed for your faculty recital not too long ago, uh, Aton. The Damas. Yes. I, I have a I have a relationship with that. I mean, I mean, the same it's, it's autumn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it feels a lot like the words. Like I kind of connected and, and performed it. Like a lot of people do get caught up, kind of like in in the imagery because you get you know so many programs like with big like you know symphony like music right. and like orchestra where it's like here's a piece of paper to literally tell you like what it means. And I like I don't know if I like that. As I don't yeah. know if I want to be told like because I try and like I don't even but like I'll like close my eyes like a lot and like you know when I'm given a program like I'll of course like peek at it like it helps give like I guess some insight with instrumental music it, it is really just like you're capturing a feeling you yeah know? and and it just feels like like if I had to like put it in like words like the early half of it it's like not regretful but but it's like the best instrumental music like it you really take what you want out of it. It just has to be like introspective. Like it just has to like give you like a space to like be in your own feelings, you know? Yeah. And that, and I did feel like that with the second, this second movement of this piece is it gives you that quality. It just, I don't know. There's like a pensiveness to it. There's a, it just really moves me. I don't know. I, I don't, I have nothing else to say about that. There's just something I, I just feel incredibly moved by that. Second yeah. Movement. Like with so much like, Meaningful music, like without getting like too deep into the theory, because I've gotten comments of like not to nerd out like too much on that. Oh, I love theory. So. I mean, but it's like the, it's like you know the tension. Like you, you can kind of feel like the, it's it's not it's not like very tense. Like it, there's not like a whole lot of dissonance in the beginning, but like when you just have like because I'm amazed like as far as like I have very limited like keyboard skills, but like professional pianists, you know just how they can like divide their brain where it's like each hand is playing like a, a different voice. Yeah. Cause, cause then like it, it wasn't quite call and response, but it's like they're, they're like counter melodies, like without any other, it is one instrument. The same thing with like, yeah. like, you know, drum kit with percussion where it's one organism. If you want to think of it that way, but there there's individual like parts in, and then, and then the piano is never lost throughout as far as the composition goes. Like when, when there is that like yeah. release in the full orchestra, like, you know, comes in, then it fulfills like a little bit of like, you know, it, it ca- kind of, counter melodies, you know, right. It becomes, as different it becomes voices like in, a constant. Yeah. It becomes so. like an accompanimental thing, especially when the English horn solo happens, it becomes yeah. accompanimental. And that's one of my favorite things about the second movement is that, when the piano becomes the not doesn't become the main part in the moment, it it like very seamlessly, and it, also it's probably Martha Agrich is playing. I mean, she's amazing, but it it very it very seamlessly becomes a part of an instrument that's a part of the orchestra, yeah. 
and then it becomes the soloist again. Yep. And I, I love that about this piece. And again, it happens and you can really tell the difference when it switches to the English horn being the main thing. And then it goes back to the piano. I just think it's a beautiful piece of music and I never get tired of it. I never, ever get tired of it. When, when people want like a, a recommendation of a beautiful piece of music, I always send, I always send them this, mm -hmm. that specific recording. There's a lot of other great recordings too, but I think that she just plays it so beautifully. And I love that piece. Yeah. I really do. That's awesome. That yeah. makes me happy to hear. Um, if you'd like to follow along with it, I'll have it in the description for the next piece. I want to hear your thoughts. So we listened to the first two movements of mythology by Thomas Bangalter. Tell me about it. Cause like I, I, I have not like watched like any of like the, the ballet, but it's like I've listened to, to the entire piece and it's just very, very moving. I, I thought it was beautiful, um, and I really, I loved it. It must have been recently composed. Then it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't sound like it, which yeah. I appreciated, and I don't mean that in a bad way. <laughs> that sounded like shade, but um, not that things that are recently composed are bad. They they aren't. They aren't. What I mean by that is that it doesn't sound like, it doesn't sound like new music, like contemporary music. I should say, sure. And I like contemporary music too. Um, it just it just has like such a melodic quality, and man, it really sounds like I'm shading new music. Well, let's let's focus on the the first movement. Um, my French pronunciation is horrible, so I'm gonna say the it's literally first movements. It's called first movements. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So let's focus on the first. Oh, man, I don't want to shade. Just cut that out. Um, <laughs> you're, so, you're good. Um, the first. It's literally called yeah first movements. And it starts so soft. It starts really, really soft. And I and I love when pieces start soft. Man, it just like does something to me. I think yeah. it's so it's so incredibly effective. And it when something starts soft, it forces the listener to be be engaged. Mm -hmm. And I love that. It also had such a mystical and whimsical quality to it from out yeah. of the gate. And the whole time it has and I, a feeling that something is about to come. And it, it really paints a story about, I don't know what the story is, but it's very mystical. It's very, like, there's, like, a phantasmic quality to it. Like, there's a fantasy that's being yeah. built. There, you know, there's the harp and there's, like, the xylophone. And I think the celeste is really brought out a lot. And those instruments are, I always, like, heavily associate those instruments with something that's very, like, like a fairy tale, like a dreamlike yeah. kind of like nocturnal kind of feeling. Yeah. And I was trying to really pay attention to some of the instrument relationships that were happening too, because, and this kind of goes into the second movement a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the bassoon was really, really heavily used whenever there were low strings, which bassoons and low strings, like those are really commonly paired, you know, all the time, but. It, it made a lot of sense mm -hmm. for when, when the second movement started yeah. because the second movement is called the catch. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, again, I don't know the meaning of the ballet. I don't know the story of it. But to me, it sounds like the bassoon is hunting something. Oh, and, interesting. And, and the bassoon is not the one that's being caught. The bassoon is the one that is doing the catching, I think. Interesting. 
And I don't know if that's the case. Like that's really like fascinating to think about. Like I wonder yeah. because yeah. because in the first movement, when the bassoon was with the low strings, that's when it started to feel very ominous. Also, the first movement is like entirely in minor, pretty much. Yes. And there was there's a huge sense of ominousness, if that's a word, yeah. um, that happens when the low strings play with the bassoon because before that, the like mid strings play with clarinet and the clarinet is like really well blended into it but you can really hear the bassoon be pervasive with the low strings in the first movement then when the second movement started and the bassoon was the the, the very beginning of it was just bassoon only yeah. I mean there wasn't even anyone else it's just the bassoon there's only a few pieces I can think of where it's only bassoon yeah. at the beginning of a movement or something that told me that the bassoon plays a very integral part of this whole storyline yeah. and so I think when I was listening to it, see, I wrote here, ch- bassoon chasing something. The bassoon is hunting, um, and it progresses more and more. And but throughout it, the bassoon you can always hear the bassoon, even yeah. even when it's loud. The bassoon is doing something different. The bassoon is playing staccato notes when other people are playing very like wide swept yeah. melodies and like very like broad, gorgeous, like lush string movements. Yes, yes underneath yes. it all, you hear the bassoon like poking around. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It serves a very rhythmic like percussion, like I mean uh, harmonic like support. You know? It does. Yeah. It does. And so. I, I just thought that this whole both pe- both movements sounded like it was very much telling a story. It does sound like ballet, ballet music, and then I told you earlier it sounded like video game music to me. Yeah, um, and very mystical and like it paints such an image. And the bassoon also it has such a woodsy sound mm-hmm. that I I do think that the composer was super intentional with using the bassoon to tell a very specific thing. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but well, because like I, I have a very interesting like because t- like this is why like I I want to hear like your thoughts first before I say like anything, like to not like give you some kind of like preconception to not like influence like my like takes on stuff, and and th- that's really interesting like to hear that perspective, because <laughs> like I hear like like the bassoon's often like associated like specifically like how it's implemented in like catch, I think of like kind of like there's a trope in like fantasy music of like bassoon sometimes like euphonium playing like in 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 that like register where it's almost like dungeon-esque like i, I think of like D like where people make like soundtracks for, yes. for stuff and, and like castle and, and yeah. pictures at an exhibition the bassoon solo yeah 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 you know yeah it, it just has like that dank quality it does like I'll give you like some perspective because like in my in my very limited research I don't know the story like to a T but um, you know, it deals with like Greek mythology as being like kind of the foundation of modern storytelling, at least like in like you know Western the Western world. Um, but it shares a lot like if you know like the the hero's like journey, and it's just really fascinating having that history and having that context. Like without any visual, it has that feeling because it it you know there's nothing wrong with like you know modern compositions, but it's very purposely trying to evoke most people associate like there, there's a reason why that, why that style and like someone like John Williams where a lot of people kind of like will groan uh-huh. like like being in that space but there's a reason why you know he got popular and was contracted a lot for like film music as as a neoclassic classical composer they that's that's what they wanted cuz 
much of like that era, like, you know, your Bach, Beethoven, Mozart, like the, the greats, so to speak, they were contracted by the church. Yes. Like, like at, basically it's like, we want to get closer to God. <laughs> Please make a piece that can like elevate us like beyond our, our everyday, like whatever, like we want to go to, to the opera or go to the symphony and like get away from like our, our daily struggles. <laughs> and, and it's like, you know, right. Like what, and it's like, it's like, how do you convey something like that through sound, you know? And, and it's like, and I, I think there's that association with just like really going and just having just something like grand where it's almost hard, like to put it into words. What I definitely hear when you do listen to it, movement nine, like Zeus's theme is like really powerful, <laughs> I think. And, and, and you feel that like, if you know any about Greek mythology, it, it's very different than like modern religions and like, like monotheistic beliefs. The, the gods themselves are very human and very vulnerable. And that's the first movement, like a beckoning, like, like this, like grandiose thing the the storytelling like aspect it it's almost like you're being approached by like the divine <laughs> like like just just this grant like this power of force because that's what they use to understand like a lot of like the sciences you know like the 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 unknown like of the world it's like the people have always done this of like using like storytelling to contextualize like their environment and it's just really it's just like powerful because it isn't like just like like the glockenspiel and like the percussion like just like those like notes just like on like every measure like it it is such a slow burn and it's like it's like a whisper like like something's like approaching you and like with your perspective like in the second movement with the bassoon hunting something i hear the call and response almost like like conversational you know, there's the, the solo bassoon is like talking like a conversation, like you're form, forming a thought and like bouncing off of each, between the bassoon and the rest of the orchestra. Very, very waltzy. Like definitely you could tell yes. like it's a ballet. Yeah, it's, I put waltz. It goes into a waltz. It doesn't start as a waltz though. No, it does not. Um, it, cause yeah, cause, cause then after there's that initial conversation and it's like maybe the context is like with like, Cause yeah, if you look at Greek mythology, it's like people interacted with them. Like there was demigods, like they were very like present and real and like very human, like almost like what people idolize and like, like superhuman more or less. That's like a lot of, um, why superheroes and like Marvel has been so popular. Cause they are like what people aspire to be. They're like exaggerated versions of like what people aspire to. So it's like really powerful. And again, love, love the double read appreciation. There. I know. It was just cool. That was awesome. Yeah. And it is refreshing to hear bassoon used in a context that it really just, it, I feel like that part is just very well written for the bassoon. Yeah. It's very, it plays on the qualities that the bassoon does well. And I like when the bassoon is taken seriously because. Yeah. I don't know if we said this while we've been recording, but 
bassoon is not always taken seriously. And it's really easy to kind of just turn it into like the derp, you know, the derpy thing in the orchestra. But I mean, beer barrel polka is fun. Right. That's fun. There's some fun. Bassoon is very multifaceted. It can can play some gut-wrenching things. I mean, Shostakovich 4 or Shostakovich 10 there's that bassoon solo, Shostakovich 9, Movement 4 is what I was trying to say. Gotcha. Um, that I mean, that solo is, I feel like, is exactly the definition of using the bassoon in a way that's totally mm-hmm. gut-wrenching, has nothing to do with being funny yeah. <clears throat> or goofy or anything like that. And that's, and that's what the second movement was. I was like, oh, yeah, this, this sounds like the bassoon is doing something that it shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Like the character of it, not the actual. Instrument. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's heavy. Um, w- without getting too much into like the rest of the, the entire piece, which I will um, be listening. I mean, it, the first two movements you, are beautiful. You ought to, I, I hope you share this to their students. Like, I hope this becomes like some like a part of like, cause it, it, it's not a very technical solo. Um, but like, I do hope that this takes off because, you know, I knew about it because of my enjoyment from Daft Punk. Like, like he, they had done, um, I didn't know that some he wrote stuff. Cause the, the story I had, what I know is I had worked with, um, a production company in France and they'd started a, a new theater in orchestra. And basically this is like the premier ballet of that. And I just think it's really, really awesome. Like, and again, just kind of proving like a lot of, um, like staples that still, like are, are are timeless. Like they they have like stood the test of time. Yeah, you know it's very evocative of like the story as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I it's a beautiful piece. I was I was I wasn't sure what I was expecting, but sure. I'm glad I listened, and I definitely will listen to the rest. And I'll also probably watch the ballet if it, if there's a recording of the ballet somewhere. Yeah, I need to find video. If 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 I do, I'll have that included in the description. But is there anything else you'd like to add to our discussion before we? Before we wrap for today, that's all I got. Yeah, I mean we we've done a lot. I could sit here forever, but I'm like, I don't know if everyone else will stick around. For <laughs> that, know. You know, like because I just, I'm like, man, I get so like engrossed in like like just good conversation. I hope that translates to everyone at home listening too. I know I I can get very like uh, I don't know. Sometimes I, I I was telling Jason that I was feeling a little bit nervous to just talk because sometimes I get nervous about talking about myself, but I also get nervous talking about, I guess talking about your own thoughts in a way is kind of talking about yourself because, you know, I I felt like I didn't really say anything super conclusive, but mostly just like what's floating around and like kind of just like word vomiting, but that's helpful too. And it's good conversation starter. Yeah. Yeah. So... I enjoyed it. I really. Yeah. I'm glad you asked. I was so. I was so touched that you asked me. I wasn't yeah. expecting it. Well, thanks. Yeah. That means a lot. Yeah, it's good. Where can where can people find you on and find your music and find your? You can find me on Instagram. Um, you can also find me on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> um, but honestly, I don't. I don't post a whole lot on Facebook. Honestly, I'm not too great at social media, but if you, <laughs> that's maybe that's a new goal of mine is to be better at posting on social media. Um, but mostly you can 
if if you see me somewhere, which I don't know who listens to this. I feel like most of your listeners probably know of me or know me because when I yeah. was listening to your the other episodes, I was like, oh, oh yeah. I know this person. Yeah. Or I know of this person. So Yeah. You know like the six degrees of like separation? Yeah. Like I feel like I know more people than I, I do. Because yeah. I'm like, oh, like, because like, like I'd met Joseph like a handful of times, but I didn't know him. I'm like, I'm going to get to know him during the podcast, basically. Yeah. And Joseph's and so fun. cool. Yeah. He's really cool. Yeah. So I guess say hello if you see me around somewhere. Thank you all for listening. Uh, my name is Silence. It's uh, S-I-J-L-E-N-C-E. I'm going to spell it for the, the algorithms. That's the only way, like. It'll show up in a search engine. Really? Yeah. So I put a J in there. I'm like, well, there's a silent J for people.